Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. All right, we're going to get ready to dismiss our children. So, again, as our kids are being dismissed and the staff that are going to take care of the children's move, Hope Kids Move tonight. That's Hope Kids is the name of it. We don't Hope Kids Move. The name of the ministry is Hope Kids, and our Wednesday night is uh, services, Hope Kids Move. So they're going to be going out. And again, as they are, just take a, another minute if you could. And I know tonight was senior night for Great Mills. And is it Naomi? Is it Naomi? Naomi has senior night tonight, so the Bush family is all at senior night tonight. So we got like, we're a little heavy on this side tonight because the Bush family's not here. But we're good. Everybody say we're good. We're so glad you're here tonight. Those of you that are joining us online, we thank you that you're here. Any guests that are in the building tonight, we're so glad to have you with us tonight. Amen. And we are focusing on family. Amen. We are a family of strong believers that exist to build strong families. That's what we're here for, to help build strong families. And strong families are built upon the foundation of the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So my wife is going to come right now. And I think they've got some handouts. They might have already passed those out. And she's going to continue. And uh, I was going to bring my work belt tonight, my carpenter belt. But I didn't have time because I was working so hard today. So anyway. Uh, I'll be glad when he forgets all about that. Amen. <laughs> Y'all can be seated. I feel like... Like all this week, I told my husband, I need to clarify to the church what I meant. He's like, Valerie, I think they know what you meant. I was like, but what if they don't? I need to clarify. <laughs> but then I feel like I'll just dig myself into a deeper hole. So we're just going to leave it alone. And I'm going to trust that you guys know what I meant <laughs> when I said what I said. And if you weren't here, you should thank the Lord for that. Amen. <laughs> um, you, get, you can get your Bibles out and... The, does everybody have a handout? If you do not have a handout, you can raise your hand and our trusty ushers will get you one. Brother, Brother Scott Bush is holding down the four over here. I just want to give you credit for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Brother Andre gave you some piano jingle. That's good. Oh, and Marcus, you're sitting so far back. I didn't see you. I'm sorry. Now, Marcus is here. Amen. Brother, Hender Brother Henderson is over here. Am I missing? I'm going to stop now before I get myself in even more trouble. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you look great tonight, and I'm glad you're here. Amen. We are going to turn to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. Last week, um, we looked at the life of Jochebed, Moses' mother, and the preparations of Jochebed that she made for her son. 
And tonight, I want to look at the life of Joshua and the declarations that he made through his life and how we can, what we can learn from those. So we're going to go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read through, I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight, so I do hope you brought your Bible. If not, we'll have most of them up on the screen, but you can just follow along. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all his people, unto the land which I do give to them. Say, God gave it to them. Even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I, what a promise. Man, that's, that is a really good promise. Every place that I put my foot down on is mine. And that's what God is telling him. I've given that to you. You go down to verse 5 and it says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. In other words, you're going to win. You're going to be a winner your whole life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, and I will not forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. I want you to read that with me. We're going to say this. This is kind of going to be a theme for this first part. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Verse 7, he repeats himself and says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. He's saying, stay faithful to my word and my commandments, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success." What was the caveat to that? He said, don't depart from my law. Don't depart from my commandments. And if you'll do them and you'll meditate on them and you'll teach them to your children and that's what you talk about and you observe them, then you're going to be prosperous. And a lot of times I think we expect that God's just going to do good things for us. That there's no expectation on our part. We can live however we want to live. We can do what we want to do. And God just owes it to us to be good to us. And that's not how it works. That's not, you will never find that principle in the word of God. Verse 9, have not I commanded thee. Here it is again. Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee with whithersoever thou goest. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare victuals or victuals, however you want to say it. Depends on if you're from the south. I think if you're in the south, they got some victuals. Anybody ever said that? Louisiana back there. Yeah, got some victuals. For within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan. 
to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. So Joshua turns from his conversation with the Lord and tells the elders and the people and say, go tell the people God's going to give us this land. And he goes on and he continues to remind, remind them of all the things that God has promised. Okay? Verse 16, and they answer Joshua. So they say, okay, thank you for reminding us, Joshua. All that thou commandest, we're going to go do it. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go according as we hearken unto Moses in all things. So will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto his words, thy words, and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. They're behind him. They're like, we got your back. We are going to be strong and courageous. We're going to remember God's promises, and they are going to take it, and they take the message back and say, only be strong and of good courage. So to sum all of that up, Joshua is given this promise from God. It was the same promise that he gave to Moses, uh, uh, Joshua's predecessor. And God is telling Joshua that everything he promised to Moses is also a promise for him. Because the cool part was that the promise of God was not necessarily tied to one man. It was tied to the generations of people who were called to be God's chosen people. So after Joshua has this encouraging and motivating conversation with God, I mean, undoubtedly, Joshua's faith is high. How many of you, if you just had this conversation with God and he promised you everywhere you put your foot, I'm giving it to you. You're going to prosper. Your children are going to prosper. You're going to win every single battle that you come up against. You're going to win it. I mean, I would I'd come out of there shouting. I'd be running the aisles with Brother James. I'd be trucking around this place. So Joshua comes out of this conversation. His faith is high. He's ready to lead. He has vision. He has purpose. And he has a promise. And some of you, my husband talked about this Sunday, God has given you some promises. And I just want to kind of caveat right here that if, if God has given you some promises, you need to write them down. If you were standing up here 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago and God said to you, I'm going to do this in your life and it still hasn't come to pass, be patient and go write it down because it will come to pass. And we've got to remind ourselves, not just for ourselves, but for generations to come, that God's promises are true. It would have been very easy for Joshua to doubt the fulfillment of the promise that God gave unto Moses. Especially Moses is dead here, and he's like, oh, man. I don't know. I mean, are all the things that God promised Moses, is that for me too? It would have been easy to doubt. But when God makes a promise for the good of his people, it's everlasting. And I want you to be reminded of that. Whatever it is that God has promised you, God is faithful to do it. And so this is the foundation for Joshua's leadership, standing on the promises of God. So the first declaration, Joshua declares God's promises. Because after he has this conversation with God and God reminds him of these promises, he turns around to the people that he's leading and he communicates those promises to them. Now, there's an example in the Bible of the opposite of this. And I'm not trying to throw this individual under the bus, but Abraham had some issues. (laughs) 
I've been reading in our Bible reading plan that we've been doing, we've been reading through the life of Abraham. And I'm like, man, he needed to be a part of Living Hope for family focus nights because <laughs> some of his decisions were terrible. I mean, he's overall a really good guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, his name's in there. So, I mean, he obviously had some good things. But there was one thing that I had a problem with Abraham on. And when I told my husband this, we were sitting on the couch, we're kind of reading it together. And I was like, man, Abraham is getting on my nerves. And he's like, I'm going to scoot away from you because you're about to get struck by lightning. And I was like, I, just for real. So Genesis 17, if you want to turn there, you can. But verse 15, and God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai, thy wife, Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. So here's a promise from God, right? I'm going to bless your wife. I'm going to give her a son. I'm going to bless. She's going to be the mother of all nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a son? He, he questions God. That's his first problem, is that he questioned the word of God. And the first time that we see the promise of a great nation to Abraham is back, not in this, not in what we just read, but back in chapter 12 of Genesis is whenever God makes his first promise to Abraham. He said in verse 2, I'm going to make you of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. What he was saying is, there's going to be generations after you that are going to be yours. In other words, you're going to bear a child. So that's the first mention of the promise there in chapter 12. And then in chapter 17, it's like God's got to remind him again. And he laughs at that point. Then again in chapter 15, he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given me no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir. You're going to have one of your own. Okay? He's saying, This one that lives in your house is not going to be your heir. You're actually going to have a son that's your own. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward the heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. It's another promise. He's reminding Moses, I promise you, you're going to have a son. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him for righteousness. Then we get to chapter 16. And Sarah has lost hope. She's over it. She is undoubtedly very frustrated. She's discouraged. So she comes up with this plan, the worst plan ever, like terrible plan, like red flags going off, alarms going off, don't do this. And in chapter 16, Sarah says to Abraham, well, I'm not going to give you a son, so go take my handmaiden, Hagar, and go have a son with her. Now, this is where what gets me. Abraham doesn't even argue with her. I mean, he could have at least been like, honey, do you think maybe that's a bad idea? But he's like, all righty. 
<laughs> here I go. You know, I'm like, come on, Abraham. <laughs> and so that's one, another problem I had with Abraham. Put up a fight at least for 10 minutes. Come on. Pretend you don't want to do this. But I wonder, I wonder what the outcome would have been if Abraham would have turned to his wife and reminded her again of the promise of God. What if he would have turned around and said, no, Sarah, we're going to allow God to do this in his timing. And I want to tell you fathers and heads of your home, spiritual leaders of your home, it is your job to remind your family of the promises of God. If there's not a father or a husband in your life, moms, it is your job to remind your children and yourself of the promises of God. I just wonder how different the world would be, right? We're still dealing with the issues of that decision because there were two nations born from Abraham and they fought and they're still fighting today. Thank you, Abraham. (laughs) But the promises of God need to be repeated in our homes, repeated constantly. You need to talk about them. The Bible says to meditate upon them. Talk of them in your house. Talk of them when you rise up and when you go to bed. Talk about the promises of God. The promises of God need to be retained in our homes. We need to memorize the promises of God. That's why I said, write it down. Put it on post-it notes around your home, what God has promised you. If it's something from his word, you put that scripture up and you post it all over your house. I don't care if it looks like your house is made out of post-it notes. But you just remind yourself and you retain it. Your children should be able to memorize the promises of God that he has for your family. The promises of God need to be commemorated in our homes talk about them, read about them. If God has given you a word for your family, talk about it. That should be the thing that we remind ourselves of, not how bad things are in our lives. Yes, there are times you're going to have to talk through issues and and you're going to have to address some of the bad things that happen, but the majority of your conversation should be, God is faithful. God is here for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Joshua takes the message, be strong and of good courage, and watch what happens when Joshua turns to the elders of the tribes of Israel and tells them to go spread the message out among the people. Joshua 1, 16 through 18, and they answer Joshua, saying, all that thou commandest, we're going to do it. And whithersoever thou sendest sendest us, we will go. According to, according as we hearkened unto Moses in all things. So just like we listened to Moses, we're listening to you. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. In other words, they said, okay, we've got, think how powerful it is when you turn to your family in your home, when all hell is coming against you and you turn around and start reminding them of the promises of God. It empowers them to live in confidence and walk in confidence that they're not in this alone. The people grab a hold of it, and now they're rejuvenated. Now they have fresh vision. They have faith. Their faith has exploded now. They're like, all right, Joshua said it. Let's go for it. God is going to bring these promises to pass. In our homes, where does this apply? When there's financial struggle. In our home, Philippians 4.19 
and my God will supply every, say that, every, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Psalms 37, 25, I have been young and now I'm old and yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. When there's uncertainty about your future, your kids are feeling anxious about careers and they're at that age where there's, they're trying to figure life out and trying to figure out what their path is going to look like, you can turn to them and say, Jeremiah 29, 11 is for you. For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. When your children are feeling low and they've spent so much time on social media that they start comparing themselves to everyone else and they say, oh, I don't look like that. I don't have this and I'm ugly. Let me just tell you, those are real conversations. I've got four daughters and let me just tell you, those conversations come up of especially at the age that Dakota's in. Does anybody have preteens in your home? I'm the only one. My husband has one. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there you go. Marcus does. Our kids need to hear that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your spouse, there's going to be times that they feel low. They don't like themselves. They just, I'm just being real with you. That's how it, you know, we don't walk on this spiritual high all the time where we feel like we are God's chosen one all the time. But we need to turn to them and remind them, you are made in his image. I just had this conversation with Dakota a few weeks ago that you, you are made exactly the way God wanted you. He created you. He took very, his time. He, he was very careful whenever he formed you and exactly the way he wanted you. You are beautiful. You are perfect in his eyes. They need to hear those things. That's just being very practical, all right? When loneliness settles in, Hebrews 13 and 5, my husband preached about this today, this Sunday. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The word of God is, if you'll read it, you'll find that the word of God is chocked full of promises that are available to us. They weren't just for people back 2,000 years ago because the word of God is everlasting. The word of God never fails. It doesn't have an expiration date on it. The word of God goes on and on and is for us today. Psalms 145, and this is your memory verse. (laughs) You ready? One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, I want you guys to read that with me. You ready? Everybody got it? It's on your paper. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We have got to declare the mighty works of God in our home. We need to talk about them. And I know I'm repeating myself, but I can't reiterate it enough that we've got to talk about the goodness of God in our homes. That's the only way the next generation is going to be a generation that grows up to trust God, is if we're the ones pouring it into them that you can trust God because, look, he's done this for us. He provided whenever there was no, no money left. He healed our marriage. He healed my body. Whatever it is, you've got to test to your children about the goodness of God. 
And because Joshua declared the promises of God and reminded the people of God about his promises, he led the Israelite people to 13 major victories. I looked it up. How many battles did Joshua win? And every battle that he came to, he won. There were 13. There were AI, and the most popular one we know is Jericho. And then there are 11 other major victories. Joshua's declaration of God's promise led to 13 victorious battles under his leadership. If you want victory in your home, if you want to have power over the enemy when he comes against your family, you better declare the promises of God. It's not going to come through your intellect, and it's not going to come through you thinking that you're going to outsmart the devil. It's going to come from you declaring the word of God and the promises of God in your home. Secondly, Joshua declares an invitation. He declares an invitation. So the first chapter of Joshua is where he declares the promises of God. And then we're going to skip all the way to the very last chapter in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 1 through 5. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and I multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it, but Jacob and his children went down into Egypt, and I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Repeat that. I brought you out. How many of you, God has brought you out of some things? I told the class on, on Sunday in our This is Home class, I wish we could just parade the testimonies through that class and just testify about how God has brought us out. God is healed. He is delivered. He has set free he, people who were bound for years and years by alcohol, by drugs, by pornography, by perversion. God has delivered them. And church, we cannot forget that. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in doing church that we forget about what God has done. So Joshua is having this meeting with the elders, and he continues on reminding them of the goodness of God. The victories. They had won 13 battles. That's a big deal. God had delivered them out of the hand of Balak and Balaam, and victories over all the ites. Well, I think it's in verse 11. He says, I delivered you, brought you out from the parasites." parasites, we need that deliverance, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Gerashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, I'm in verse 12, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but I didn't drive them out with your might, he says, not with your sword, your sword didn't do it, 
Your bow and arrow didn't do it. It was by the hand of God. And I have given you a land which you did not labor for. I gave you cities that you did not build, and you dwell in them, and of vineyards and olive yards, which you planted not, but you eat from them. In other words, he's reminding them once again. And I think Joshua knew how fickle the Israelite people could be. I think it's just humanity, honestly. And here Joshua is inviting the Israelites to remember and then to make a decision for themselves. He's telling them, you've got to make your own declaration. Verse 15 says, and if it seem evil unto you, he's already reminded them of all the things that God has done. He's brought you through. We've won these battles. He's delivered us. And we've, you know, we've taken over all the ites in the area. And so God has been really, really good. You're living in cities you didn't build. You're eating from vineyards that you had no, you had no hand in planting. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in those lands that ye dwell. 16, verse 16 says, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It's like, what? No, we would never. For the Lord, our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did all these great signs in our sight. In other words, they're going, of course we're going to serve the Lord, Joshua. So Joshua declares an invitation to the people of Israel. You got to choose. You make a decision who you're going to serve. And they respond and they're like, duh, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to go to church on Sunday. I mean, of course, it's Sunday. And we're going to go to church even on Wednesday night. I mean, we are going to serve the Lord. And then Joshua brings the hammer down. And he says, all right, you said it. Have you ever had that where somebody asked you a question and you were like, yeah. And they're like, all right, don't forget that. And you're like, oh, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> I take it back. But that's what Joshua does. He goes, all right, you said it. Your witnesses against yourself. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. And they're like, what, well, what do you mean? We just said that we're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua says to them, he's a jealous God and he's a holy God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. He's done all these good things for you. And if you stand here and tell me that you're going to serve the Lord, but then you go back and serve your strange gods, he is not going to be happy. And the people said to Joshua, no, 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 we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, your witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you to the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Yeah, we'll sign the paper. Give us the contract. We'll sign it. And then he says, now therefore put away the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. So Joshua, he knew that the Israelites leaned on the side of fickle, you know, kind of wishy-washy. He watched as they would repeatedly, if you've read through the story of the Israelites, anybody ever get frustrated 
Like God brings them through the Red Sea and literally like five minutes later, they're complaining about something. Then he brings them through a major battle. They win. They shouldn't have won because they were totally outnumbered. And they're like, oh, yay, woohoo. And then the next day they're complaining about manna. And so Joshua has watched this whole routine. He's watched as they are really excited when God brings them through, but let God delay on something and we're out. Let us go back to slavery and go back to Egypt. And honestly, humanity hasn't really changed that much. God can do the miraculous. He can set us free. He can, I mean, heal and deliver and do all the things that I talked about. And if we'll just give it a little time and he doesn't really come through on the next thing on your to-do list, when you want him to, then we can tend to get a little whiny. And as leaders in our homes leaders over ourselves, we must make a declaration that we're going to serve the Lord. It's not just lip service. It's followed up by action because Joshua said, okay, you said it. It's one thing to say it. Now go get rid of the strange gods that you've got all up in your tent. So I'm encouraging you as parents as married couples, as individuals, as teenagers sitting here listening to me, I'm encouraging you to go home and clean house. And I'm not talking about with the vacuum. Now, that, it could lead to that. That would be good. Parents, they say amen. A vacuum, vacuuming is my favorite chore, actually. I love to vacuum. And when I was pregnant, I used to, like, crave the smell of freshly vacuumed floors. Isn't that weird? I'm telling you, pregnancy's weird. It is just a weird thing. (laughs) I know, Mia, it is extremely weird. I would vacuum like 15 times a day. I had the cleanest carpet ever in all of St. Mary's County because I was like, oh, smells wonderful. Love it. And it may lead to that. You know, I hope it does. But that's not what I'm talking about. Do some honest evaluations about what you've allowed into your home. Think about some of the things that you've allowed to entertain yourself and your kids. Entertainment that you would be embarrassed if Jesus was sitting right next to you in the same room. Music that would cause a sailor to blush. No offense, sailors. Conversations that you would have never had in front of your parents. Contacts and relationships that need to be ended and deleted out of your phone tonight. Remember Solomon? I talked about him a couple weeks ago when I was kind of giving you the foundation for these Wednesday nights. He took strange wives. The Bible says that he, he took strange wives whenever God told him not to. He said, don't take the wives that serve strange gods. And Solomon was like, I got this. It's fine. I need 700 concubines. Really? I mean, that's his first problem. Solomon, chill out. If he had just chilled out, we wouldn't have some of the problems we have today. But he took strange wives that led to strange gods that led to destruction. How many lives were destroyed and lost because Solomon invited ungodly influences into his home? And I want you to think about your home tonight. I want you to think about what you allow to entertain you. And what kind of things you allow your kids to watch. And I know this is getting, you know, they're like, oh, you're all up in my business now. Well, yes, I am. And I'm not sorry. Because I want your family to prosper. 
I want those promises of God to be alive in your home. And if you're allowing entertainment into your home that Jesus wouldn't say, guess what? Jesus will leave. He'll say, I'm a uh, peace out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm not going to sit here for this. It's one thing to declare it with your mouth. It's a whole new thing to go home and do some cleaning. First Peter 3.15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation there means lifestyle. Your life, we, we're not called to just be holy when we're here at church. That's doing lip service. That's being fickle. But he's calling us to a lifestyle style of holiness, to where whenever you're having a conversation at school, teenagers, people know that you're one of God's because it's holy conversation. And you're not having the same, you're not telling the same jokes at your workplace that everyone else is. And you're not talking about your wife the way everyone else talks about their wives. And wives, you're not talking and bashing your husband at every chance you get whenever other women at your job are doing that. I don't care how much your spouse gets on your nerves. You better speak life, and you better not take those issues to someone else at work. That wasn't in my notes, but maybe I'm in the Holy Ghost. I don't know. Your conversation, your lifestyle must be holy if your family has any chance. And so we need to go home and clean house. Ephesians 4, through 27 says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. God, God brought us out of wickedness. Why would we go dive back into it? And I've said this before. There's, we've let things entertain us that God delivered us from. God delivered us from a lifestyle that was unholy. Why do we bring it on a screen to entertain us? It's, it's foolishness, just to be blunt. He said, put off those old things which are corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's going to take, take a renewing of your mind. And that's when you pray, God, I need you to renew my mind. Purify my thoughts and my desires. And as we talked about tonight, repentance, coming to the brazen altar, that's where we pour out ourselves. And that's what I'm talking about, cleaning house, where you get before the Lord and you say, God, I've allowed some things in my life, in my family, in my kids, in my home, that I need you to forgive us. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to gather your family around and do some repenting together. Because your kids need to be able to see that from you. Where you say, all right, you know what, guys? We've allowed some things to happen in this home that we shouldn't. And confess it to them, and then you guys repent together. That's powerful. Because that shows them mom and dad know where to go and know how to course correct. And that's an important lesson. Twenty-four, Verse 24 of Ephesians 4, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for ye are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. When you are entertaining unholy conversation, you're giving the devil a place at your table. 
That's what's happening. And you wonder why your kids think the way they do and why they're struggling so hard to believe that the word of God is true. And it's because we've allowed entertainment to raise our kids. And if you think the devil is going to take it easy because they're kids, no, he's not. In fact, he's going to pour it on a little harder. Neither give place to the devil. Young people, I want you to listen to me right now, all you teenagers in here. When the devil comes to sit at your table, he's always going to overstay his welcome. You give him an inch, and what do they say? He'll take a mile. Do not give the devil an opportunity in your life. Build some strong foundations right now. I don't care how old you are. The young, I think the youngest in here is probably 12 or 13. Well, Addie's in here. <laughs> but what is it? You're 13, right? I think all the younger ones are in class. Right now, build some boundaries and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow this in my life because my relationship with God is too important and me making it to heaven is too important to allow the devil one inch into my life. Joshua's declaration also communicated, decide today and do not change your mind. Decide today and don't change your mind. Stay committed to it. Stay committed to serving the Lord. This whole wishy-washy lifestyle where you're up one minute, down the other, you can't decide if you're going to serve the Lord or not. You know, you like coming to church and it's, it's fun and we have a great time during worship, but man, I really like to be involved in things that probably, you know, the Bible is not really in favor of, but it's so fun. And, but I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll show up on Wednesday and do my checklist, but man, I really love what's out there. That's done. That's done. If you want the promises of God in your family, that's going to have to stop. The going back and forth. Monday and Tuesday, you're going to worship the gods of this world, but Sunday and Wednesday, you'll, you'll worship God. This is the decision that we're making for the rest of our lives, and that's a declaration you've got to make over your family tonight, right now, that come hell or high water, I'm going to serve the Lord. My family's going to serve the Lord. And this invitation is followed by the very last declaration that Joshua will ever make. And it's probably the one that we see at Hobby Lobby on the signs. Joshua makes his first declaration in the first chapter of Joshua and his last in the last chapter of Joshua. Joshua declares his resolve. And that is not a blank on your paper because I changed my notes after they printed those. So you can write it on the back. Joshua declares his resolve. Joshua 24, 15, the last part of that verse, and we could probably all quote it, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I, you know, tonight we talked about at the beginning during prayer time, we talked about the mercy of God. And this is where I'm so thankful for the mercy of God, because maybe up to this point, there's been some things that you've allowed into your home. There's been some things you've allowed into your life. But tonight, is all. it can all be made new. You can make a decision tonight that you're going to serve the Lord, that this is it. This is the final decision. I'm not going back on it. And when I get home, we're going to clean house, and we're going to get the family together, and we're going to declare to one another that we are going to serve the Lord 
and God's mercy is there. When you ask him to forgive you, I know this is such basic Christianity right here, but he actually forgives you. And he doesn't hold it over your head. And you can make a decision right now that from this point forward, we're going to change some things. And we're going to put God first. We're going to seek his word. And we're going to meditate on his word. And we're going to do all the things that we've talked about. And I promise you, God is going to meet you there. And he'll start healing some things. Because some of you are dealing with situations in your homes right now because of decisions that were made that was not probably the best. But whenever you decide that you're going to turn and make a course correction, God's mercy is there. And then he starts to heal those situations. And he'll start to renew your mind. And he'll start to heal your marriage. And he'll start to heal your children and emotional pain and hurts that have been there. God will begin to do a healing that only he can do. But you have to make up your mind. You have to declare tonight, this is it. This is the direction that we're going. In February 1519, Hernando Cortez, my husband mentioned him very briefly at the end of service for those that were still here on Sunday during altar call. Hernando Cortez set sail on the final leg of a voyage that would take him from Cuba to the shores of the Yucatan Peninsula. He had 11 ships with more than 500 soldiers on them. He had 100 sailors and 16 horses. He was bound for Mexico to take the world's richest treasure. This precious treasure was made of jewels and gold, silver. They had sculptures that had been sheltered on this limestone peninsula and guarded by the Aztecs for over 600 years. For 600 years, army after army had attempted to overtake the Aztecs and conquer the peninsula. And I'm sure halfway through the journey, Cortez had to field some questions from those 500 uh, soldiers and 100 sailors when they were like, I don't know if this is worth it. I mean, we haven't even seen pictures. No one's even posted about it on Instagram. (laughs) Like, we don't even know for sure that it's there. And there were probably times of doubt and that that the treasure that they were headed towards was even really worth what they were going through. And I'm sure that he had to remind them, no, guys, really, this is, it's incredible. We're going to have wealth. Your families will be taken care of. I mean, you're going to, you are going to be living your best life. I promise if you'll just trust me, when we get there, you'll see. So as they get there, they disembark the ships that not only represented the vehicle that got them there, but it also represented a means of escape. It represented the just-in-case. So as they stand there on the beach, undoubtedly they were filled with a lot of fear and anticipation because for 600 years, people have been coming here to try to conquer the Aztecs and take this treasure that everybody wanted, and no one had been able to do it. So I'm sure they're standing there going, I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, it's been 600 years. But Cortez He was confident. He was like, guys, we got this. So they stand there on the beach, and Cortez says three simple words that will change the course of the next two years. He says, burn the ships. Burn the ships. 
Because what Cortez knew was that when there's a choice to either fight or die, the motivation to fight intensifies. When your only choice is to either, I better fight and win this, or I'm going to die, how many of you are going to probably fight? That whole fight or flight thing, I don't get that. Like, we're going to fight. I ain't going out easy. Somebody's going to have a black eye. I don't know. That may be all I get out of this, but somebody's going to have a black eye, or if I can break a leg, I mean, that's, that's probably the best I got. Right, But whenever you're given that choice that if I don't fight, if I don't fight for my family, if I don't make a declaration that we're going to serve the Lord or my family's going to die, you better believe you better make that declaration. And I know that sounds dramatic. And I know that sounds a little crazy maybe, but I'm telling you, the enemy is out to destroy your family. He wants to take your kids. He wants to bombard them with perversion. He wants to take your marriage. He wants to rip your family apart because God put it together. And anything that God does, the devil don't like it. So you better make a decision. I'm burning the ships. There is no escape plan. I'm in this to fight. And it's time to fight. So as families, I am asking us, and I'm done, and I want us to stand. We need to make a decision tonight. And I want you to get whatever family you have next to you, if it's your spouse, a kid, if it's just yourself, just hold your own hand. (laughs) But I want you to, to pray right now, God, help me to have the strength to fight. Because sometimes we're just weary, Can I get a witness? Sometimes we just get tired and you don't want to fight anymore. You're tired of repeating yourself and tired of of fighting the same battle over and over. And so I want you to pray over yourself right now that God would give you strength to fight this battle. God, right now I pray over. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com.